Hello, and welcome to the Topic of Choice podcast. Each week, we explore conversation, reviews, interviews, and more in a fun and relaxed setting. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. I'm Matt Snotty, and here's your host, Joey Police. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to uh, actually season three. This is uh, season three. We're starting off episode one of season three uh, to the Topic of Choice podcast. Uh, my name is Joey Police. Um, I have my good friend here with us as well as you uh, remember him, Matthew Snotty. Matt, how are you? Good, Joey. Uh, is this season three? I thought it was like I'm, season I'm eighteen off this or twenty. Or... With season, this is season three. <laughs> how, how did we get to season three already? Because well, season I two is like season two is like one episode, right? It's, it's actually three episodes. <laughs> three episodes. Okay. We're, we're going by date. We're going by date. Um, <laughs> okay. But I, I'm excited to kick this off as season three because we're, we're not only are we going to start uh, from a not a rebranding, but kind of a, a fresh perspective. But the guest today. Uh, Dr. John Wensveen. I'm real excited to have you, John. Thanks for coming on and uh, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm honored to be on season three. (laughs) (laughs) I know that you, we have tried to get you on before, and I think we had like cancellations on, on, I know it was probably on my end, Matt, no jokes uh, from from the cancellation, but I know that we've tried before, and it just, uh, I'm excited to have it here now, uh, but but, uh, I appreciate you taking the time, and and John is, is, I know you're a connoisseur of pop culture as well, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Joey, we, will, you, we will blend some of that in. Uh, what were you going to say, Matt? I was going to say, have we had a doctor on here before? Like, like PhD, like, like an actual learned person. <laughs> you know, I, not just. I, I don't. I think. I think John is now the first and setting the bar pretty high. Well, you, well, you, you do know what PhD stands for, right? It's a permanent head damage. <laughs> pile higher and deeper. I like. I like this but, pile high and deeper. Um, well, tell us tell us a little bit about your background, John. First of all, um, I know that you and Matthew have some commonalities, which we'll get to. But give us just a quick background: uh, who you you know your past, and then where you're at now, and, and we'll go from there. All right. So, grew up in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, came to the United States in 1999 via the UK, where I did my grad studies. Uh, fell in love with aviation at the age of three when I had to evacuate a burning 747, and I caught the the bug at that point in my entire life. Uh, growing up was focused on aviation, and all I ever wanted to do was be in the business, be a pilot, start my own airline. And uh, long story short, there's a whole journey there. And uh, all of the, the trials and tribulations that I went through from education to career led me to the, the probably the most exciting role that I've ever had, uh, where I'm now the chief innovation officer of the largest university in Florida, Nova Southeastern University and executive director of the world's first theme park for entrepreneurs known as the Levant Center of Innovation. It's been an exciting journey. Well, if it's one thing that Florida needs, it's more theme parks. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm glad to know that there's one for entrepreneurs. Oh, that's that's good. How far away are you from the the theme park hub, as as I would put it, John? So we are in Fort Lauderdale, and you're seeing there is no real theme park in South Florida. There's a, a plan for one, a proposal that's been on the table for a number of years, but we're three to four hours from Central Florida, which would really the Metro Orlando area, of course, where you got Disney and, and, and Universal, but that is the closest that we've got. 
Well, I, I love it. I want to, I want to, you, you, you really gave a lot, a lot in your, in your background there. If I could just unpack a little bit of that. The first thing you said is you evacuated a burning 747. Is that something you could tell us a little about, or do you not want to go there? No, I absolutely can. I did an entire TED talk on this, uh, this last year, actually. And that was really how I launched uh, the message that I was putting out there. So as I mentioned, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and my parents decided to take our family on our very first airplane raid airplane ride ever. And it was my family and my grandparents. And my uh, mom and dad bought me a US Air Force flight suit. So it was one of these tan colored suits with the uh, the wings and the lapels and uh, again I was just a little over three years old and I thought I was the hottest kid around and we were going from Vancouver to Hawaii so Vancouver to Honolulu we were on a bright orange 747 the airline um, at the time was called CPR and CPR later became part of Air Canada which became uh, something bigger and better down the road but we were taxiing out on the towards the, the runway and uh, one of the engines uh, caught on fire plane came to a, a halt and it was serious enough that they had to deploy the doors and the slides and we slid out the side of the airplane and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the entire world but everybody around me and my family not and uh, I think my mother never wanted to get on an airplane ever again and all I wanted to do was live on one. It was amazing. <laughs> you, you, you got, you caught the bug there. How old were you? Three. Three. My gosh. Okay. Yeah. I remember bits and pieces of it too, which is interesting. Like I do remember the chaos. I don't remember certain things, but I do remember the chaos and I do remember looking up at a big airplane. Hmm. And Matt, go ahead. I was going to say, I want to talk about your, cause you have a very similar, uh, you know, your, your passion of flying and you're a pilot as well, Matt, right? Well, yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, neither here nor there. I've never had to evacuate a 747. I was about to say the second most fun part of the airplane is the, uh, is the magic slides that they pack into the doorways. <laughs> the most fun being up in the up front in the cockpit, but, but, uh, yeah, getting, getting a chance to go down a slide. That's something that not a whole lot of people get to do. And that's, that, that's a pretty amazing story. And, and it's amazing that it, it ignited a passion for aviation for you rather than like your, your, your parents, you know, turning you off to you know, the complexity and the dangers of aviation. You know, it's funny that that was an experience. And I've always said, as I got older in life, that an experience could change your life. And it was that moment that changed, that dictated the entire pathway of what I was going to do with wow. education and career and personal interests and still a huge passion of mine today. It's Did crazy. you ever deviate? I'm curious, John, like, was there ever a point in your undergrad or even in your, obviously not your graduate studies, but in your undergrad or before there in high school where you thought, well, maybe I don't want to go into the, into the aeronautical space. I want to stay in the, or maybe I want to go into biology. I'm just using a, you know, or, or, or were you, you said it and that was it. You knew where you were going. I knew I wanted to be involved in the aviation industry, but I didn't know how to break into the industry and honestly didn't know what kind of career pathways laid ahead or what kind of credentials one might need. So I, I found my way through my own bumps and bruises. There wasn't anybody around me that was able to mentor me and coach me and say, here's how you do it. And, and I do that now. I give back by creating pathways of opportunity for individuals and, and had that been available to me, my life may be in a lot different than it is today. But I had a, a I want to tell you, I caught the bug and I still have it. That was the journey I was going to go on. I just didn't know what it was going to look like and where ultimately I was going to end up. But I knew I wanted to one, fly an airplane and two, I wanted to start my own airline. And uh, when everybody said, 
oh, you're not smart enough or you don't have enough money or you can't do this or you can't do that. Those were actually the motivators that told me to say, well, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to I'm going to show the world that I'm going to be able to do this. And, and some things I did and some things I didn't do and still continue to strive towards but my two biggest dreams I, I did accomplish. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Did you start an airline? I'm, I'm curious. I did. So um, ultimately, it's quite interesting. Um, when I was doing my grad studies, my master's and PhD, I was in the United Kingdom and it was all focused on aviation. And while I was in Europe, I realized that there was this tremendous opportunity at the time in the industry where there was this thing called a low cost carrier being created and nobody knew what it was. And I was in the right time at the right place. And I just started writing um, publications. Um, doing presentations and I realized that I started carving out a niche market opportunity for myself where I actually learned what low-cost carrier models look like to the point that people started calling me asking me for guidance and advice and I was still learning it but I, at that time I was probably one of five or six people anywhere in the world that was actually focused on that subject and I ultimately later on ended up doing a number of airline startups for others so investment houses other air carriers other types of industry that were looking to diversify what they were doing and after doing it a number of times I ended up writing a book on how to start an airline because it didn't exist. I actually wrote it for myself, not with the intention of publishing, but here's how you start an airline. And then I realized that, oh my goodness, I actually have a map of how you start an airline. So that became one of my books that I wrote. And then I um, ended up writing another book, which to this day is the number one bestseller in the world in terms of air transportation. It's used at every university, every airport, every airline, every investment firm, every consultant around the world, every civil aviation authority. And it's kind of the Bible of, of air transportation, start to finish, about 700 pages thick. And that gave credibility to what I was doing. And at some point I just said, I'm tired of helping others do this. I'm going to do it for myself. And uh, there were some others that recognized that I had this dream and there was somebody who knew how to connect me to somebody who connected me to somebody. And the next thing you know, there were three of us that came together and we defined a market opportunity on the transatlantic. And there was a desperate need to be able to do a business class operation, but an economy class price. And uh, my ideas combined with their money came together and we actually launched a company at the time called MaxJet Airways. And it was a Boeing 767 service and it served New York to, to London and Washington, D.C. to London. And then we expanded some routes and then got involved in, this, in the charter business with uh, various types of organizations. And it ultimately went public out of London. And uh, the ultimately, ultimately, the airline did fail, as did many others in the same era because of competitive forces that were bringing under our control. But I, I left at that point, as did the, uh, the other two founders. But, uh, yeah, we did it. We created a new model that had never been accomplished before. There were pros and cons in terms of success and failure to it, uh, but it, it taught me an awful lot and really set me on the next stage of my own journey. How, how old were wow. you during this time uh, 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 of your journey? How old, where were you at that point? Um, so I was, so uh, let's see, 32, 33 and okay. when, we, when we started the concept, and that was a three-year project. Wow. <laughs> what were we doing when we were in our early 30s, Jay? <laughs> we weren't starting airlines. <laughs> I well, was I just, yeah. I will tell you what I was doing in my 20s. <laughs> I was a late bloomer. <laughs> I was just trying to place Matthew the same thing. I was like, what was I doing at 30 to 33? I, not that, I can tell you, nowhere yeah. near it. Yeah, not many people uh, in the world can say that they, they they started an airline, uh, you know, particularly with that 
tra- transatlantic. I mean, that you think of a, a low cost airline, you think of you know the little uh, you know city to city. You know, go, for example, Lexington to Florida. You know, we do that a lot. There's uh, I forget what the airline is here, Joey. Legion. Yeah, Legion. But there's a low cost. You know, forty nine dollars for a for a seat to to Orlando from Lexington or something like that. You don't think transatlantic, which brings a whole other slew of problems and logistics and and con- concerns and things like that. So that's that's big time. You know, what was interesting is we were pioneers in what we were doing. And as soon as we launched, there were two other companies that did the same thing, one uh, based out of the UK and one based out of France and essentially replicated the model. And some of them had bigger resources, which also caused increased competition. But ultimately, um, all three carriers did fail. One got absorbed by one of the bigger ones and basically got absorbed into the brand and disappeared. But what it did do is it launched the creation of a new model all over the world, especially in the Asia Pacific region, the Middle East. So that type of model was really first base of the baseball diamond and now there's you know second base and third base versions of it but it was that model that spearheaded uh, where we are today in the industry with some models that are still active so did the other two airlines that failed did they also read your book they did actually <laughs> so one of them hired me to help them uh, to, to grow so yes so i'm curious as to whether this book was actually a success or whether it was right a model for for uh, you know not not success right right well it's funny if you if you go to boeing uh, boeing aircraft company and look at their website they have a whole startup unit online that you can look at and if you look at the content they now have outlines of all the things you need to consider when you're starting an airline but much of that content came out of that book wow that's was that your dissertation i'm just curious did that have anything to do with it um, it was it was sort of my dissertation, but not really. My uh, my dissertation was focused on a, a a huge problem that was occurring in Europe and still a problem today. So what I did is I analyzed the the airport network throughout all of Europe, and I had to define what Europe is because there's multiple definitions. So I took a pretty expansive definition, and then I studied all of the air carriers that operate in and in and out of Europe, and realized that airlines aren't operating in the most efficient manner, and airports aren't necessarily in the most strategic locations. And when you combine the geographic location of an airport combined with the root structure of an airline, it's actually leading to a lot of inefficiencies in terms of economics, in terms of congestion, utilization, regulatory challenges, et cetera. So what I did is I created what I call the optimal mega hub network where I identified a a um, piece of land in Europe through a formula that I took from the maritime shipping industry that goes back to the early 1800s that was done in German, had it translated into English and then modified it to reflect aviation and airline operations and, and did something called the centrality index. And I measured the centrality of all of the airports in Europe. And then I measured the performance of all the airlines in Europe, realizing that there's this huge gap. And then if we restructured Europe in terms of where we built what I call a mega hub airport that allowed for airlines to come in and out in quick periods of time and then disperse to their ultimate destinations, it would actually relieve congestion in Europe. It would reduce costs, increase utilization, change regulations, and uh, and there's a lot more behind it, but it had some concrete evidence that was actually picked up by the European Union. And there's something called the EU Air Transport Directorate, where they actually absorbed the findings of my research and actually implemented new policies and procedures in Europe about how aviation is run. But the most interesting thing is that there's something called the TGV line, which is the high-speed rail network in in Europe uh, out of France. They ultimately selected a hub 
a piece of ground where they built a hub in order to act as a hub and spoke system for high-speed rail. And some of my research went into the deciding factor as to where the high-speed rail systems would actually operate. So the purpose of PhD research is to help change the world where you discover something different and contribute with your research to the betterment of some kind of a challenge. And, and that was one of the cases that came out of that research. <laughs> Joey and I are both sitting there going, holy crap. <laughs> Did you, uh, okay, so, so let's fast forward now. And I, I know that, that you've, you've transitioned to different positions, but where you are now is I, I'd like to focus on and what you're doing and the launch of, of this new amazing center, um, which will kind of get more granular on. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, uh, um, the location not the location, but the Levin Center, what it's doing. And, and really what I love about this is it's geared for entrepreneurs. Is that correct? It's absolutely correct. And so it was really interesting about three years ago, I was actually recruited into this very unique position that nobody even knew what it was. So number one, I became the first chief innovation officer of the university, which is not a very common title within a university environment. And secondly, I was given an executive director title to focus on the build out of what we call the Allen B. LeVan and issue Broward Center of Innovation. I'll just say LeVan Center from this point because it's a long name. And all of the stuff that we've been talking about uh, in terms of my own journey was really embedded into the strategy of cre and creation of this innovation center. So when I saw 54,000 square feet of cement, that's what it was, literally a 54,000 square foot footprint. And somebody said to me, what do you see here? That's when I said, I see the world's first theme park for entrepreneurs, raised a lot of eyebrows and people said, well, what do you mean? I said, if you think about the journey of an entrepreneur from, the, from how you create an idea to birth of an idea to, um, the incubate stage, the accelerate stage, the post-accelerate stage, what does that journey look like? And if you think about how you could reverse engineer the success of an entrepreneur, how would you do it? Nobody's ever attempted it. And, and so this was a big journey. So long story short, a public-private partnership was created between the university and our local county government, Broward County. And at that time, $5 million a piece was put on the table. So $10 million were to go towards construction and build out of this facility. We ended up actually increasing that and raising more money and then got a large philanthropic gift. And today we're about a $20 million investment. And I had the opportunity to say, we've got one rule and that there are no rules. And as long as you allow me to, to follow that, we're going to build something that's incredible and unique and, and, and impactful on a global basis. So I got the green light to move forward. And essentially what we did is we looked at the, the facility, went through the journey of what an entrepreneur does from birth of an idea right through successful exit of a company and all the different stages, all the things they need in terms of tools, infrastructure, networks, various resources, programming, events, um, et cetera, and then put it all under one roof so that it became like this mega shopping mall, if you will, with a lot of storefronts where you could go to any storefront and all your needs would be served and then virtually connected to the world. So that's what we've now done. And um, we officially opened up in terms of the grand opening in April of this last year, April 27th of 22. We got slowed down because of COVID and we're not allowed to open our doors, but we did everything virtually at that point with some success. And I can truly say that this is the only model in the world that's an incubator and an accelerator but a whole lot more on top of that. And we, 
we we have found the secret sauce about how to make you successful at an accelerated pace. And the best way to put this is in the form of an acronym if you think about a baseball diamond and the entrepreneur sitting at home plate with the bat ready to hit the ball. They're so focused, focused on first base, then second, then hopefully they make it to third and hopefully they make it to home plate and collect that point. What we do is we look at the baseball diamond with the entrepreneur holding the bat ready to hit, but they're focused on third base and then second and then first. So we figure out what the definition of success is at the very beginning. And maybe it is the merger, the acquisition, the IPO. Maybe it's a franchise. Maybe it's a different level of growth of the business, a different market opportunity. What does that mean now? What's the ultimate dream? And then we figure out all of the steps to get you there. And then we start walking you from the top down rather than from the bottom up. And it's so, and there's a lot more detail behind it. It's very intriguing and very intricate in terms of details but it's now captured global attention where we've got innovative nations from around the world where we're creating partnerships in the form of what I call a country desk to have those innovative nations now physically resident in the innovation center with a desk and a chair. So you have ambassadors that can now open up the ecosystems around innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship in all of those countries, connect them here through South Florida into North American, Latin American, Caribbean markets, and then reverse that so that we can take our own population and send them out um, all over the world. And Within this theme park concept, I mean, 54,000 square feet of space, to put it in relative terms, is the size of a Bed Bath & Beyond, Florida style, which tends to be a little bit bigger, and maybe like a Costco if you're from, or a Sam's okay. Club. Yeah, sure. And walk around, and as you go through the journey, you're going to find pieces of infrastructure that include things like a military cybersecurity training range, a media production studio, a technology maker space with the the, the printing, uh, the 3D printing, the drones, the the robots, the artificial intelligence applications. Um, we're about to build out a volumetric capture studio, which is the next evolution of spatial computing around AR, VR, and mixed reality. It's hologram technology that gets superimposed into environments that you can only dream of. It truly is the future among other things, but it's just the most incredible facility that you'll, you'll ever see. It, it sounds incredible. It also sounds, it sounds like a lot from a standpoint of, so somebody listening to this podcast right now who has an idea or they say, I, I want to be my own boss and I want to start. Is this the person you're trying to target or are you trying to target the, the individual that already has the concept? How does one how does one start to walk in those doors? And John, I'm going to tag on to that. Do they have to be in Florida? So the answer is yes, yes, and no. Um, so we're looking for anybody that has an idea that needs assistance in terms of advancing that idea to the next level. So we can help vet them through the process by really assessing what the idea is. And there's different ways that we do that by introducing them to um a team of individuals that are, have been there and done it, and they can assess the individual in terms of their capabilities. They can assess the idea in terms of what the market opportunity is, and then help plug the holes to get them to the next level. We're also looking for those entrepreneurs that already have small businesses that are looking to scale it to the next level. So there are plenty of resources here in South Florida around small business support, which is great. Our focus is how do you take not put another donut in the window or another chair in the in the barbershop, 
but how do you create the next Dunkin' Donuts or how do you create the next sports clips or the next Amazon, the next Kindle? And and that's truly our bread and butter is focusing on the very large scale accelerated pathways of, uh, of opportunity. And then the other section is very well-established businesses that are looking for their next level, which may be their Series A funding or maybe it's another series. It may be the merger. It may be the acquisition. It may be the global expansion opportunity. So when we talk about the life cycle, that's the life cycle, but it even goes further where you might not even have an idea, but you know you want to create one. We can help you with that too. It sounds to me that in order to shepherd the individual through this, whomever is on that board or those the staff members, how do you how is that selected? That, that sounds incredible because like you said, when you were young, you didn't have the mentorship and the guidance to get where you uh, are. And you had to have a lot of bumps, a lot of hurdles, a lot of bruising, so to speak. Right. But for somebody to come in, you know, and you guys all have, have built this as a one-stop shop, if you will, to get that person as far ahead as possible, the resources, yeah. So picture it's, and, and also too, you don't have to be in Florida to take advantage of this. So there are different ways that you can access it, but imagine a collision station and the collision station for the very first, first time forces entrepreneurs to collide with academia, industry, government, funders, professional networks, wraparound service providers. That's the one-stop shop that, that you just mentioned all under one roof and then virtually connected. And in terms of what we do to select those that support us is we do have a dedicated full-time staff that continues to grow. But what we also do is we go to the outside world and we find those successes. So who's done the ideation, the incubation, the acceleration, the post-acceleration and are current at it. And they come back as coaches, facilitators, mentors, investors, um, service providers, or they may be there under the classification of other, but we have a very um, difficult process of how we identify and how we actually recruit and select those that are part of our team to go forward. And I will tell you that most organizations and individuals that we talk to don't actually cut the mustard. They, they actually get rejected and it's okay to say no so that we only have the best of the best. So when you walk around this facility, like today, as I was doing Today, I have a delegation from Croatia, uh, entrepreneurs, and when I introduce them to certain individuals, they're like, oh my gosh, we've never seen anything like this in the world. And we've been to entrepreneurship centers and innovation centers, and how do you know that person or how do you know that shark that's on that TV show, uh, and how do you get them introduced to me? Um, we have some pretty high caliber individuals, but they have to have performance metrics that hit a certain standard because we want to be the Ferrari of, of what we do. So for somebody that is um, wanting to go down this route, how what is that? What is their first step? Do, is it a let's let's come and visit online? And, and then my next question is, is I'm sure people are probably wondering is what is it? What is the price point for something like this? Is it is it like tuition or is it a uh, walk me through that? So the first step is there's different ways. We always encourage people to come and take a tour and they're usually 60 to 90 minutes in length. It's a true walking, talking tour where you expect you're exposed to all 54,000 square feet of space. And then you'll also have stories along the way and you'll get to meet different users uh, of the facility. And by the time you finish the tour, 
it just pops. Oh my gosh, you've thought of everything. This is wow. How do I get involved? Or here's what you can do for me. There's nobody that leaves here with what the heck was that, that I just walked through. And that's one way. So that's the tour. The other way is um, we can connect virtually as well. We can have conversations. We can do virtual tours uh, through, through video. Um, you can come and participate in any of our events. Almost all of our events are free of charge. So it may be going to a pitch night showcase or a pitch competition sure. or it may be a community event that we're that we're hosting so we just did one this last week called south florida space day which is the biggest event we've ever put on it was open to the general public and it was amazing how many people came 440 people and as a result of that they were exposed to what we were doing even though they came from afar said gee i want to become a member or i want to go into a program or i want to participate in different events that you have um, the other thing in terms of price point is one of our missions is to reduce or eliminate the barriers of entry for an entrepreneur, particularly at the very entry stage, because you don't have resources. So we recognize right. that. So we've been bootstrapping the overhead cost to this point, and now we're about, we've baked the cake, now we're about to put the icing and the sprinkles on, so now we're gonna go knock on the door of industry, and an industry is complaining that they don't have this and they don't have that. Well, now's your time to co-invest, and you will be one of our sponsors to help overwrite the costs that we can then pass through to the entrepreneur. So with that said, we do have a membership model as one component. There are eight different types of membership from virtual through corporate membership, which are big established brands. Um, and then we have things like community desks and co-work for just open co-working space, among other things. And what we've done is we've kept those costs at a ridiculously low level to make sure that it is accessible. And if you're a company at a startup in a startup phase, and we truly believe that you are the next opportunity, one of the other opportunities we will offer you is we will waive the fees and we will give you free office space and what we'll do is it take a very small percentage of equity in your company or a royalty license agreement but not enough to do any damage to you as you become successful and we'll scale with you as you scale uh, with your profitability. And we're actually about to sign our very first company this coming week, which is a space company that's figured out how to grow food in space or on Mars. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, uh, Matt, I, I want to get your, your feedback on this. What if you had had this something like this 20 years ago, you know, in your, in your back door? Oh, it, it would be exciting. It would be, it would be yeah. so interesting. Um, and, and, you know, one of my biggest things has always been, I've never wanted to grow my company to, to some, some bigger thing. I never wanted to be a franchise or anything like that, but I have had ideas where I've always thought, oh, this would be a great thing. If, you know, if I found the right, if I found the right people, the right team to do something, uh, I, I would love to grow it and, and then sell it off something like that. Uh, this sounds exactly like there, there's a book called, um, seven, seven habits of highly success, successful people oh, or something so, like that. Yeah. And one of those is uh, one of those habits is begin with the end in mind. And that's exactly what this model sounds like where you you don't. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said, you're not looking at first base. You're looking at third base. You're looking at, at where you want to get to. And so, yeah, if you've got that dream of, of starting something and having it be a franchise or having it be something much, much bigger than you and not just be like my company or like your company, Joey, where it's just <laughs> it's just the two of us. You know, right. but, but, but we're happy with it, with, with our companies being that size. But there are there are certainly ideas that benefit much more from being able to grow if you have that idea of, of where it needs to be this sounds exactly like what it uh, I, I would love to have access to something like this 20 years ago yeah there's uh, i i can't say i would have started network therapists or you would have started blue edge networks if we had this kind of a uh, right. uh, an opportunity available to to, to 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 grow it much much bigger i i, I think of um 
I think of our kids, right, and the opportunities that they have now, uh, which are which are that's what we want, right? We, we, we don't want, we want better for the next generation. We want, and, and I think John, what you guys have done there is just fascinating. I, I looked, I've looked at all the LinkedIn. I've been following you guys for a while, uh, on all of the, the new openings, the videos, the, the cybersecurity range itself. Uh, I told Matt 2023, he and I are flying down there. Um, we're going to spend a couple days and I, I, I just want to see it. I want to. I want to be a, you know, to touch and feel that type of uh, uh, environment. You know, we don't have access to stuff like that. And I think what you guys are doing is absolutely phenomenal. And it just gives the next generation of of entrepreneurs. But I'm going to come come even before those. The next generation of students and youth that will have opportunities to to make those ideas expand and. Um, and become something tangible is now no longer a, a dream. You guys are you guys are literally making these things happen. I think that's just ex- extraordinary. That's what I was about to say. I mean, every entrepreneur starts with a dream. That's exactly yeah. what I was about to say. It it always starts with an idea. And it's you know, you, as you grow and you you learn and you see all the obstacles that are in place, that's why a lot of people settle on not following their dream, uh, particularly if it's if it's starting their own company or being an entrepreneur of some sort. Those those dreams get squashed by reality. But this changes reality. It's, it, it it makes it so that all of a sudden you don't have to have, you know, uh, uh, that corporate job that's that's just beating you down and driving you. In insane you can you can really follow through with whatever you're dreaming about yeah and being an entrepreneur is not easy and uh, you probably both know from growing your own and uh, it takes a certain mindset so that's the other thing is we also teach you about the mindset of being an entrepreneur yeah. and you know younger minds may come in thinking oh this is it i could you know i take my days off when i want to i can take vacations i can do this and i do that the rally is no you can't and, no. and you have to understand that going into this or you're not going to be successful so some people are cut out for it and some people are not but there's always something that stuck with me i remember when i was young i was given some bad advice and i was told that you can't be an entrepreneur unless you were born with it in your blood it, and you can't learn to be one and i think that's just bogus and one of the things that we do do especially with the younger minds is to show them that there are pathways and you can be taught to be an entrepreneur as long as you're willing to be taught to do so and we've changed some lives in the really short period of time here already where people have deviated and they've gone from this is my my pathway that my parents said i need to do to oh my gosh my parents don't even know about this technology and what i can actually do something with ai or vr or ar or or, or data analytics or cyber and, and teaching their parents about what the opportunities are and i want to be an entrepreneur so it's it's so exciting yeah now, one thing you did mention was the, you know, the, the, the low cost of entry. And I'm curious, typically companies or, or businesses or, or opportunities that are, that are low cost get a lot of tire kickers, get a lot of people who don't really want to commit to something. And so the, you, you get a lot of low hanging fruit and not very much quality uh, uh, you know, attendance or quality applicants. D- does, does that bear fruit with you? Or does it seem like you, you get a lot of people that are just like, oh, it's free for me to go, go and, and, and see what's going on here. Why not try it? Or do you actually still get the, the quality of people that you want to, to come in? We do get a lot of tire kickers. There's no question about it. And as they become more exposed, you get even more. You know, looky lose. And, but at the same time, we, we, we have metrics that we follow on a, on a monthly basis, we have a very sophisticated tool that allows us to do that. And we can actually see the quality of the of those that are applying into our programs. And they're also coming from further distance than ever before. And uh, at the beginning stages, it was 
uh, kind of anybody and we looked at everybody because we were brand new, but now we can be a little bit more fussy about entry into programs. But the neat thing is we try not to reject you at the same time. So you may come in thinking I'm ready for this certain phase of our program and then through our own assessment we'll realize no you're not but we do have a home for you and you should be doing this or doing that so i like to say that we have a menu and there's appetizers entrees and desserts and there's a whole buffet and you can select what you need off the buffet but you can select from the full the full menu but there's always a connection point for you somewhere and our job is to help guide you and make sure that you're following the right pathway i want to i want to go back to something that you said john um that the the mindset is, well, entrepreneurship is in the blood, right? It's you're born with it and you either have it or you don't. And I agree 100% with your, uh, uh, your view of no, it can be taught because I'm, I'm living proof of that. I, I've, I was corporate for, you know, 22 years in a, in a corporate structure, um, where Matt was, uh, you know, 20 plus years as an entrepreneur. And then when, when COVID hit, people say to me, oh, you were so brave to go out on your own. It's like, yeah, kind of COVID forced that, but I, you know, it's, it's like the old saying, it's like, I'm so glad, I'm not glad that COVID happened, but I'm glad that I was pushed out of that, uh, wheelhouse and into an entrepreneurial role and, and to have a mentor and to have somebody who kind of walks you through everything from setting up to your day-to-day to billing that you don't even think about. How do you, you know, what's reconciliation of your books? And, and I know I'm talking very basic here, but, you know, you know, to have that, it can be taught. And now if you were to ask me going into year three, uh, I, I should have done this a long time ago. And it's just such a rewarding, um, it's a rewarding day-to-day uh, um, process, but also I'm working more than I ever have, both mentally, you know, physically through the whole thing, right? Finding that balance. But Matt, Matt has always has, has made the joke, you know, you, you don't set your own hours, you set the hours of your business and your client. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point because I said earlier, it's not easy being an entrepreneur and you are going to work more hours and hopefully you're passionate about what you're doing rather than someone dictating your future and sitting in a cubicle. But one of the things that we've recognized is that self-care management is an extremely important part of the entrepreneurial journey. So we've actually embedded that into our own facility. So if you come and take a tour, Yes, you're going to have access to pool tables and foosball and shuffleboard and and go-karts that you can ride around in. And that becomes part of your lifestyle and the culture and the climate that you're uh, immersed in. But it's so important to be able to disconnect. And I will tell you, I do, I am the worst person about learning how to disconnect because I am go, go, go. I'm 16, 17, 18-hour days. And self-care management is not something that I've learned, but I know that we have to teach it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially for, for, for men in particular of our generation. Uh, men have have a uh, a huge mental block against yeah taking time for themselves and doing stuff to just you know just to have fun or just to disconnect or something like that so that's that, that that's a great mindset and that's a great uh, advantage to to what you're offering is to be able to, to have that and Matt, I'm looking at your background with the uh, the bar there. So one thing I one thing I didn't mention is that we have a commercial kegmeister system. It's a true community table with a beer tap system, and we're in the process of getting our own brew made for us. So that's another part of self care management too. John, are you a uh, are you a fan of bourbon of Kentucky bourbon by any chance? I do. I like bourbon. I want to do the bourbon trail. I want to do a golf tour bourbon trail combined. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you when when that when that happens, you you let me know a little bit ahead of time, and we'll make sure you get the the right tour. Uh, okay. When you when you come and visit, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a, an ambassador of uh, Kentucky Bourbon, so so. Oh, no I, kidding. Yeah, I've got a little card that says lifetime ambassador. <laughs> I love it. Well, my wife Lisa and I, we've been talking actually this next summer. We have an RV, and we're actually thinking of maybe doing a tour that does something along those lines. So that would be yep. kind of cool. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, we're going to take a short break. And uh, when we come back, um, another topic that I know is near and dear to me, uh, we'll, uh, and I want to get um, uh, John's uh, input as well. So we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by my company, Network Therapists, and Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks. Joey and I are full-time consultants and combined for over 50 years of experience in technology and security. Visit our websites at networktherapists.com or blueedgenetworks.com. All right, guys, welcome. Um, welcome back. So we we spent the first part of the podcast just talking about the uh, the Innovation Center with uh, Dr. John Winsveen. It's been fascinating, John. Um, but also now, that's a lot of work. Let's talk a little bit about... I know you said you you spend a lot of time working and it's hard for you to cut away. Um, one of you know if you've listened to the podcast here, you know that I'm a huge '80s '90s pop culture guy. What are some of your Halloween go tos from uh, from a movie standpoint? Or and I'll even open it up because Matt won't have a lot of movies. He has music though. Uh, what are your go to spooky uh, movies for the for the Halloween oh. season and even past that? So there's, it's funny. Somebody asked me the other day, what's, what's the one movie that really freaked you out? And I don't know what year it came out. I should probably look, uh, it must be early eighties, but I'm terrified by children of the corn, but I have to watch oh. it just because that's, that, that's a go-to. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a traumatizing. That movie yeah. is traumatizing. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is. Um, so it's interesting. Um, you know, I think when we were communicating earlier on, and I don't know if it counts or not, but you know, E.T. was one of my favorite films yeah. of all time. I mean, I'm still in love with that film to this day. Um, and, you know, and the iconic uh, Halloween scene. I mean, the, the, the neighborhood Halloween and, yep. you know, E.T.'s wandering around with a little ghost outfit on and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's I think that if, if Die Hard counts as a Christmas movie, then E.T. definitely counts <laughs> as, a, as a Halloween movie. Absolutely. Well said, Matt. Well said. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I'm going to pass it to you. Where are you? Uh, and I know you and I have spoken about uh, your, your movie library, but are there any that, that, that resonate with you from your childhood? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I never got into horror movies or Halloween movies very much, but once I married my wife, she is very well versed in all the eighties stuff. So she made me watch the <laughs> Halloweens and the Friday, the 13th and the uh, nightmare on Elm streets and stuff like that. I think I, I watched poltergeist for the first time after I was married um, and, and got to, got to see the old eighties uh, uh, movies like that. But no, one of my favorites is uh, exorcist. Uh, is, oh, is always going to be one of the, the the top Halloween movies. And it's not a specific Halloween movie; it's just a horror type movie. But the other one um, 
that I've liked ever since it came out. And it's not, it's, it's a hybrid Christmas and Halloween movie. And it's the nightmare before Christmas. Oh yeah. Stop yes. motion, Tim Burton. Uh, it's, it's equal parts. Oh, I actually, I wouldn't even say it's equal parts Christmas and Halloween. It's, it's, it's much heavier Halloween than it is Christmas, but it's got the Christmas elements as well. And I've gotten my kids into that and all the, the songs and stuff like that. Da- Danny Elfman, you know, of, uh, uh, oh gosh, what, what band was he in? Um, Oingo Danny Boingo. Elfman also did, uh, Edward Scissorhands and yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say Oingo Boingo, uh, his his original yeah. band. Um, uh, oh, which, okay. Uh, that's where he's from, and he did all the all the music for that. So, uh, just phenomenal music. So, that's always the one that I always pull up is Nightmare Before Christmas. You guys have you, you're hardcore with your with your Halloween uh, scary movies. I mean, as hardcore <laughs> as I went, I'm not kidding. Was probably Lost Boys and Ghostbusters uh, for me. I, I remember watching the first maybe 30 minutes of Children of the Corn, John. Um, uh-huh. And I think I ran out of the room screaming. That was one I, I could never return to. And then Matt, when you told me The Exorcist yesterday, um, I can't even. I yeah, that's there's a scene in. The Burbs with Tom Hanks. I don't know if mm-hmm. you remember the, the movie The Burbs. Yeah. And there's a scene where he's uh, watching The Exorcist on TV. That's the most that I've ever seen of that movie. <laughs> it just does not. There's no way I could uh, I could get through it. But, oh, Linda um, Blair and the pea soup and the, the head twisting oh, yeah. and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> the best part um, of The Exorcist was the part that they never publicly acknowledged during its original theatrical run, which is that they pasted in individual frames of this white-faced demon and they would just appear on the screen super briefly i mean a, a frame of movie is 124th of a second and and so it would only appear for 124th to 324th of a second and then go away and it would be in between stuff and it and people wouldn't be they, they couldn't tell what they had seen they just knew that it made them uneasy and it gave this overall sense of dread and i've loved that aspect of uh the movie the exorcist because it has those demon scenes in it that were never talked about I'm going to tell any listener, don't watch this movie. It's horrible. <laughs> it will scar you for life. <laughs> no. It's a good movie. It's a genuinely good movie, despite all no, the, you know, no. the, the, the horror aspects. It's a, it's a great story. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a love story you know, between a mother and her daughter and, you know, trying to get oh her daughter. Gosh. Help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The daughter had some um, legitimate concerns and some medical issues and the mom's trying to get them taken care of and d- just doesn't realize that, you know, it's I, all caused by a demon. I like how you're how you're trying to spin this. No, I, I, I'm, I'm not buying it. John, um, as we wrap up, what are how, how does somebody get to uh, how, how does somebody find the information? Tell us how how they can get connected going forward. Um, if if it's that person that's listening, it says this is exactly what I've been looking for. Uh, you know, at least to either speak to or or open that dialogue. How do they get connected? So a couple of different ways. Uh, the more personal approach, you can go to my own LinkedIn account and my name and look up John Wensveen, and I respond to everybody that does inquire and comes from all over the world. Uh, the more traditional way is to go to a, it's a temporary website at the moment, but it's uh, N-O-V-A, nova.edu forward slash innovation. And there's a really cool website on the horizon and it'll be a dot com. Uh, the other way is you pick up an actual phone and call uh, 954-262-TECH, that's T-E-C-H. Uh, but those are really the three main ways, especially if you're uh, not local here to South Florida and uh, someone on our magnificent team will definitely re- uh, reply. Great. Fantastic. Well, um, 
I want to thank you, John, for coming on. Just hearing your story, everything that you've gone through, accomplished, it's fast. It's not only fascinating, but it's, it's, uh, it's remarkable. And I appreciate the time you've taken to tell us all about it and what's going on down there in, uh, in South Florida and, um, and how people can get connected with you guys in this great new endeavor. So, uh, I yeah. appreciate it. Very exciting. I thank you very, um, both of you very much and i look forward to uh, getting on that bourbon trail <laughs> yes <laughs> anytime <laughs> we'll call you when we're in florida you call us when you're up uh, here in kentucky absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely and matt and i will be uh we'll be coming down there in 23 for that range that we can't wait to see it so we uh we talk about it uh whenever we say what, what kind of playground would we like what kind of theme park would we like to spend a day working at uh this sounds exactly uh like the kit the, the ticket well, I yeah. wish you could come on October 26th because you're going to see it in full operation with a magnificent crowd. It's going to be doing some wild stuff. Will there be some te- Will there be some things posted in uh, YouTube, Vimeo for, for, for people to see this? Yeah, we'll do a summary recap video. Uh, we're doing one for our South Florida Space Day that we had on October 12th. We'll do the exact same thing for the South Florida Innovation Day on October 26th. And, uh, and we will be posting that through all the social media channels so people that couldn't be here will be able to see it. And those that were here will get to relive the experience again. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Um, uh, This is the Topic of Choice podcast. My name is Joey Police. Uh, Feel free, please, to subscribe, rate, and review. And until next week, uh, we will see you later. Thanks, everybody. This has been the Topic of Choice podcast. We love feedback. If you have a show topic or questions, comments, or anything else, email info at topicofchoice.com. You may hear your feedback on a future episode. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.